a human comes to Harakir. Now, of what class is our visitor? Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Zach. And I'm Seth. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. We are. Yes. We we are. That's who we are. That's what we do. Always classic. Sometimes classy. Always classic. Sometimes classy. Sometimes classy. Mostly classic. Mostly classic? Yes. Well... Oh no, our, 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 we're not very classic when we talk about like the Byway Pass segment. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Usually, that's a more modern game. It, that's true. I it could it can also be a game that's coming out that has already been out that's getting coming out again. That's, that's in the past. That's true. That's true. Anyway, we should digress. <laughs> as 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 Seth, it's it's been it's been a week or so since the last episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. Tell me, tell me, tell me. What have you been playing? So recently I've been playing a game that I actually talked about in the Byway Pass segment in another episode, or at least the sequel to the game. Uh, and that's, I've been recently been playing uh, Subnautica. Uh, Subnautica is a game that's done by Unknown Worlds Entertainment uh, and was released in 2018. That's a game where you crash land onto a planet that is mostly water. Okay. You have to survive on the planet by um, harvesting things underwater. Okay. And making submersible vessels to explore the depths. My relationship with uh, survival games is kind of a, a weird one. I don't necessarily like traditional survival games. Mm. But I like survival games that are unique, kind of like Subnautica or The Forest, where they're like survival games with like a, a twist. So Subnautica has the twist that you're mostly underwater, and it's a very good looking game, as well as fun to build like a, a submarine. You can make bases, and you can make a submarine that's like as big as a base, and oh, you can cool. design all of it and explore the whole world so it's it's cool in that regards there is unfortunately no multiplayer it would i think of be a fun game to play with multiplayer but i also think that part of the game is that whole isolation feeling mm, yeah. where you're kind of alone trying to build something and to try and figure out where you're going and where to go kind of thing yeah so what about you what have you been recently been playing well i've recently been playing grand theft auto online thanks well, that's to always fun yeah thanks to uh, epic games the online game distributor and publisher um recently decided they're going to start just giving out really good free games and they gave out gta 5 which includes grand theft auto online i've already played through all of gta 5 on my ps4 um so i'm not playing it for the story i'm solely playing it on my computer for the online mode at this point um and i have crew with some of my um buddies from college uh called gex g-e-c-s pronounced like the classic playstation one character and we uh go on heists and we crash cars and we cause general mayhem around all of los santos so it's a it's a fun time isn't it isn't it empire city no gta 5 is los santos is it, is it oh it's los santos yes, that's right, yep. that's right. yeah because it's like la yep yep uh so uh, right right now four is empire city or liberty city liberty city three is i think three is san andreas just like so i think it's like all well three is a bunch of them uh, three is a bunch of them a... yeah 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 it's been a fun time uh we've been like i said we've been doing heists uh we've been uh doing races there's a lot of cool races you can do in gta online they have these stunt races where you were pretty much driving like gta cars on mario kart tracks where like there's like loop-de-loops and stuff and you have to try not to crash your car um so it's it's a good time to do that it's, it's a fun time doing that i'm doing a little meta play in the game i like to do meta play when i play online games in the sense that i kind of create a character that i'm 
kind of role playing, but not fully. Um, so my meta play is that my character only steals uh, semi beaten up cars that go very very slow so the first car i stole was a uh, station wagon with wood sidings um that has someone's like bags on top of it like they're going on vacation um i then stole a vw bus and i also stole a uh, like just like a van like a white van um usually i give them a nice fresh coat of paint but my friends always make fun of me because they'll be showing up in like really nice like porsche and other sports cars and i'm like popping around in my in my subaru <laughs> i when i when i played gta online i played it when it came out for the pc originally i spent a lot of my time breaking into the military base and trying to steal military technology maybe two nights ago that is exactly what we were doing is me and a group of my crew found a place that if you hit the um uh like the hillside just right you can launch your car up into the uh, military base and get like real good distance in it so you won't get immediately taken out by a tank um and we just kept repeating that over and over again because we kept getting blown up maybe like five minutes into landing because we all were driving you know like fast little compact cars and the military had military things but uh one of my buddies did steal jet and uh got out with it so that was fun yeah it's a it's a fun i think the online is just fun to um, play around with maybe i'll reinstall it and join you guys it has its issues every now and then with connection but for the most part it seems very stable so um we've had up to like seven or eight people um in in our crew on in one crew only server without any issues um so that's uh you know it's it's nice to be able to do so much chaos with so many people in the kind of a nice little confined setting right right well so maybe we should get onto something completely different yeah exactly going from uh some incredibly chaotic games to some fairly straightforward but maybe somewhat complicated games at least in the early days (laughs) um so we're gonna go back uh and revisit one of our older formats where we talk about a specific company uh we today we want to talk about SSI which for those who don't understand what I just said is short for strategic simulation incorporated well while some while some podcasters who talk about video games might like to talk about you know uh, I don't know game companies like Capcom or Konami Seth and I like to stick with the acronyms we like to go MECC we like to go SSI pretty much if it sounds like something that you'll find in a textbook or on a test we'll probably talk about it in the future. <laughs> Yes. Um, yeah, the SSI was back when uh, video games uh, logos were straight to the point. <laughs> they were literally text. <laughs> you know? Though, so do you want to uh, talk a little bit about the kind of like uh, the beginnings and the foundings of SSI? SSI got its start back in 1979 with Joel Billings, who was its founder. Uh, he was a huge fan of war games, uh, strategic war games specifically. And he really liked games that were out at the time, like games from Avalon Hill. And there's a few other publishers that he was really interested in. And what Joel saw was that there was this kind of growing home computer market. Um, specifically, he utilized the the Radio Shack TRS-80 computer and realized that there was a market for these war games to be brought over to these home computers that were growing in popularity. Uh, so Joel kind of pitched his idea to Avalon Hill, who was a major war games uh, publisher at the time, also pitched it to Automated Simulations, they both said no, and he eventually decided he was just going to do it himself, and he hired a couple of programmers, a guy named John Lyons, another guy named Ed um, Williger, and they went on to start working on what became the early SSI games of the 1980s, the first one being Computer Bismarck, which was released on the Radio Shack TRS-80 and the Apple II computer, was programmed entirely in BASIC, and for people who don't know early computer languages, BASIC is a family of general purpose high-level programming languages that were designed simply because it was uh, easy to use computer language. So early BASIC came out in like the 1960s and kind of evolved with personal computers, but pretty much every early 8-bit microcomputer of the 1970s into the late into the late 80s came packaged with either a BASIC 
on the ROM or or like a basic software that you could buy to use uh, in the system. So it was it was a widely available programming language, which is partially pro- most likely why they used it. It also was fairly easy to interpret one version of basic over to another version of basic so that they could bring their games over from like the TRS-80 to the Apple II. Going from there, they just started hiring on more people. They soon became a kind of a powerhouse in this whole new strategic simulation game market. It's a very niche market. A, a niche market, but I think they kind of were tackling the the game market at the right time because in the 1980s people who were on these microcomputers were mostly nerds who would be interested in strategic games <laughs> so <Such as laughs> president elect in 1981 and baltic 1985 the corridor to berlin made in 1985 yeah the north atlantic 1986 though um and they then you you have here that they had a a very specific uh tagline based on their spread of their games yes yeah, so they um they did dabble into a couple other markets they they worked on a couple of sci-fi strategic games and they also created a couple sports games uh they created a game called computer baseball so their tagline in the 80s was their games could take you from waterloo to the super bowl by way of the north atlantic <laughs> <laughs> which is just fun though so for me though my personal history with ssi has nothing to do with any of their strategic simulation games right and actually i was so familiar with them with what they did that was not a strategic simulation game was that i was very confused as a child as why they were called strategic simulation incorporated for me they were just always the ssi and it didn't really mean anything to me because back in around the mid 1980s the ultima series had come out and was doing very well it was very very successful so there were other companies that were in the role-playing space without being a video game yet and one such company was tsr and tsr was the company that in the 1980s owned dungeons and dragons and they were watching how ultima was very very successful and decided that they they didn't know how to make video games but they wanted video games so they were were going to license out their advanced dungeons and dragons which was ad and d they just were going to put it out there for bid and 10 companies uh up to and including electronic arts who created the ultima series sierra entertainment and origin systems who made uh, wing commander and is actually now over with uh chris roberts and oh, yeah. star citizen uh so those th- 10 10 of those companies three of them were big big guys ssi strategic simulations incorporated also applied for it which was at the time being led by joel billing still um he joel actually was very interested in doing a dungeons and dragons type game and earlier before tsr decided that they needed a video game reached out and said hey could i do a video game for you guys and they said no (laughs) and um they didn't they weren't interested in video games until ultima came out then they were very interested in video games because they saw all that money that was going in i i think why tsr might have not have been interested in video games just to kind of assume without actually knowing was because dungeon and dragons had dabbled in video games since at least the 1970s i mean there was right. un- unauthorized dungeon and dragons games available on old uh mainframes and such and they uh had released licensed games for things like the Intellivision, Advanced Dungeon and Dragons and such, which wasn't great. <laughs> so I think TSR probably just assumed like, oh, video games are cool, but we can't do what we want to do with them until they saw Ultima. Which was a CRPG or computer role-playing game. Uh, it could also be classic role-playing game, but um, it is CRPG is for computer role-playing game. So even though SSI was not as big of a name comparatively to electronic arts origin systems or CR entertainment because they were having they had a history of making computerized wargaming experiences and D&D and AD&D were originally a wargame itself they won the license and they presented to TSR that instead of doing one AD&D game they wanted a series of games and where that there could be a bunch of spin-offs because D&D had a bunch of spinoffs. 
Like AD&D was more than just uh, one realm. You had Forgotten Realms, you had Planescape, you had Spelljammer, you had, I mean, this is 1980s D&D. Right, so yeah. You had Ravenloft. Um, you had a number of series, uh, worlds within the TSR mythos, as it were, the D&D mythos, that could be used by SSI. And that's kind of like what SSI sold to TSR and said, hey, you have all these different mythos. We could make kind of a, a box and we can release that box as different sequels and series and spinoffs and all that. So they SSI staffed up and brought on their first full-time computer graphics artist. And they brought in TSR to help uh, design the the game, including designing a module to go with the game. It's a paper module, a tabletop module. And they sat and they worked together and they created uh, what's known as the Gold Box Engine, which was the uh, original engine that uh, SSI created. And all of the games were built in. Uh, eventually, they SSI became uh, more of a publisher than a developer, and other developers worked in the Goldbox engine, and they went through and released between 1988 and 1992. They released uh, 12 different games in what's known as the Goldbox engine. Yeah, wow. Uh, and SSI went through and developed a total of. 30 licensed D&D games, of which 10 they developed themselves. Some of the gold box games, the first game, the first gold box game was uh, Pool of Radiance. And I actually owned Pool of Radiance. I owned also the sequel to Pool of Radiance, uh, Curse of the Azor Bonds. I also owned Dragonlance series, had a spinoff SSI series of games, of which I owned the Champions of Kryn. I also owned the Gateway to the Savage Frontier, which was another spinoff of, um, done by a different development company, all still in the gold box. Right. Um, and they were called gold box games because of the art that was on the box so the artwork on the box uh, was they were generally released in gold boxes and they were framed with usually a red border inset a little bit maybe like an inch margin in front on the box itself and at the bottom you would have the ssi logo in between the red somewhere on the box you'd also have the tsr dragon stamp and in the middle of this red frame would be some type of artwork that was reminiscent of a DD module mm. it would be high fantasy artwork it would be really well done and it would be like a cover of a book and i think that's what they were going for was really producing these things so that it felt like you were buying a book or a module yeah. versus buying a game because they were selling it to the D&D audience who were also nerds who <laughs> would probably also be a, playing on the computer. They were released in the three and a half uh, floppy disks. Some, Most of them, the ones that I had were one or two disk sets. Yeah. So they weren't very large data games, but they were deep in story and they were very freeing for the time in regards to what you could do in the games. So the Pool of Radiance series, which was developed at SSI, uh, Pool of Radiance came out in 1988. Uh, Curse of the Azure Bonds came out in 89. Then The Secret of Silver Blades in 1990. And The Pools of Darkness came out in 1991. And that was one story. It was a continuation of this Pool of Radiance story that was set in their planescape world where the planescape world is is where there's different realms throughout the DD environment and so this is pool of radiance takes place in that planescape world within the forgotten realms and the savage frontier which was also set in the forgotten realm series uh was developed by stormfront studios had um three games the gateway to the savage frontier 91 they had Neverwinter Nights, which came out in 1991 and was the first graphical MMORPG and the Treasures of the Savage Frontier in 92. So yeah, Neverwinter Nights was the first graphical massive multiplayer online role-playing game and it came out for AOL and it came out in 1991. 
it played like it was in a gold box engine so it played very similar to other gold box engines um there was also the Dragonlance series, which was based in the Dragonlance world, which is a, a novel series by Margaret Weiss. And that was loosely based in her world, uh, had its own story. And it was uh, the Champions of Kryn, the Death Knights of Kryn, and the Dark Queen of Kryn, coming out in 1990, 91, and 92. And then they also developed, SSI developed some Buck Rogers games, which would not be in the D&D world. Um, but they had the Countdown to Doomsday and the Matrix Cubed coming out in 1990 and 92. Not in the D&D world, but still Goldbox, using the Goldbox engine. The Goldbox engine was unique in that it presented a first-person view when you walked around towns. You could walk into stores. You can go walk around different environments. uh, You could go into a dungeon and crawl through the dungeon in first person. And then when you went into combat, you would go into like a 2D plane where you were pulled back and you essentially observed the uh, combat from a completely overhead view. And everyone was kind of like a drawn, almost like an MS Paint drawing of like the characters there would be sprites and you would move the sprites around and you would fight the enemies and once you finish the combat uh you would then go back into the first person mode and there were people to talk to there was heavy dialogue there was stores you could buy equipment you could uh eventually they developed the game where you could choose the deity that you're your cleric worshipped or and you would have different classes and spells and really they integrated a lot of what you choose over time. They developed it so where the choices you made during character creation played out in the game that you played. And the gold box engine for me really harkened back to my childhood. I was already interested in Dungeons and Dragons and it kind of helped keep me interested in D&D from the tabletop into the PC and kind of enjoy it in multiple mediums and still be able to understand what was going on in the game because I was also playing the game in real life and not on the screen. Then uh, SSI moved into a publishing role and published a more modern games, I guess, I'd yeah, say, comparatively yeah. to the Goldbox engine. They published other D&D games that were not in the Goldbox engine that were a little bit more modern. But So, Zach, why don't you talk about some of your memories in regards to what you uh, remember of SSI games. So there was two games that I remember very clearly um, that were SSI published games. I think actually one of them was developed by SSI. The other one um, was just published by them. And those games were Dark Sun and Ravenloft Stone Prophet. And uh, like Seth was saying, um, during the time that both of these games came out, uh, SSI was kind of starting to play around a bit with Moving away from the gold box, well, you could, I guess you could say the gold box standard, uh, to create a uh, um, kind of, you know, more modern style games. Um, so the first one that I really remember Seth playing a lot of, I don't think I played a lot of it until later when I downloaded a copy off of GOG, um, was Dark Sun. And Dark Sun, um, the full name of which is Dark Sun the Shattered Lands. Um, yeah, Dark Sun the Shattered Lands takes place in a fictional land called Athos, Athos, um, which is this like hostile world where you are a gladiator or uh, you take up a party of gladiators and you have to fight a bunch of monsters and bad guys and such. It is a top-down view similar to some of the uh, some of the like Ultima games, but it is more interactive in terms of what you could do with the characters, who you can talk to, and it doesn't really focus on dungeon crawling, and it's more of a standard role-playing style game. Yeah, Ravenloft is probably the game I think I remember a little better than than Dark Sun, and, Raven, and, and the th- reason being was because Ravenloft besides from games like Chex Quest, was probably one of the first 3D first-person games that I remember uh, seeing, um, and I remember Seth playing. So Ravenloft uh, is a first-person 
RPG game. It takes place in uh, this hazardous land called Harakir, and you play as any number of characters that you want to um, create. I think there's like uh, pretty much your standard uh, assortment of D&D style uh, races and and um, alignments and classes. Um, I think you can play you can play as like half elf, elf, um, you know, halfling, uh, human, uh, and then you can also do like dual classes i think you could do do a class if you play as a half elf um so yeah you know the, the usual sort of role-playing style of uh game but it, it was cool because it would um have these kind of first person areas where you can you can interact with the screen via your mouse but you can also like drag the mouse around to kind of get a 360 view of the area around you and it wasn't super advanced 3d graphics but it was still very cool to see um, you know, you'll see things in the background as these small pixels, and as you get closer and closer to the, um, them, you realize maybe it's like a dust, uh, like a dust bowl or something like that that's gonna sweep you away. Yeah, no, it was a, I think it was a very cool game. Also, it had, uh, I remember it had very clear spoken dialogue, and I think Seth and I kind of make fun of that because we have some clear memories of the opening sequence where you, um, the opening sequence of the game is kind of like a woman who is in a uh caravan and she is playing with tarot cards and that's how you actually pick your your pick your role and she has a very distinct voice and she's like ah a cleric is coming to Hadaki. <laughs> but yeah those, those are both two games that i remember playing um and, and they definitely had a more kind of modern i think flair to them than the Def- box game. yeah definitely more modern uh dark sun uh the First one, Shattered Lands, came out in 93. Uh, the Wake of the Ravager came out in 94. The Ravenloft Stone Prophecy came out in... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Ravenloft had a, a prequel. The Stone Prophecy had a prequel, which was the Ravenloft um, Strahd's Possession that was based on the module and also based on the... Uh, and now has a 5th edition module. Um, and then Stone Prophet came out in 95, both of those Ravenloft games were based on modules uh, that the one was based on um, Shroud, the other was based on a lesser known one known as the Touch of Death. Dark Sun and Ravenloft both, uh, for me, have two different kind of reasons why I, I like them a lot. Yeah. So Dark Sun Shattered Lands, to me, was an amazing game because it gave you freedom to do whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah, and it didn't matter. It, you, 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 the game was also brutal about that freedom. Uh, so the game takes place, um, like Zachary said, where you start off as a gladiator on um, in the Dark Sun world, which is, uh, uh, would you say, Athas? Yeah, Athas, A T H A S. Yes, um, and that world is. Uh, this is not a D and D podcast. So we're <laughs> deepness of the world being ruled by like dragons and the templars and magic's band and blah 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 but uh it it's a desert world and you're a it's a tough world where like steel is not a common resource so you have to use weapons out of bone and you start the game off as a gladiator and they actually have like you could be a half giant or um, there's a race called the Mule, which is half dwarf, half human. Oh yeah, so I remember they, that guy. Which yeah. is and or uh, Trikeen, which is a bug race. So Dark Sun has some weird D and D stuff in it to begin with, and they reflected that into the game. And both Dark Sun and Ravenloft were done with uh, the AD and D rules, so there's like Thacko and all that in there. Dark Sun though allowed you to, so you start off as a prisoner. And you can escape from the confines of the being a gladiator uh, multiple ways. So you can escape through working with another gladiator and staging a coup. You could just go off and start killing guards. You could find a secret passageway and sneak out. You could work with another with another gladiator and stage an insurrection in the camp inside the prison or he does a distraction and you get out the back so there's like four or five different ways to just escape from the first zone yeah let alone the rest of the game which i think is is really cool because i think that speaks volumes on on the developers of the game i mean seth was talking earlier about how acquiring this ad and d license for 
um, SSI allowed them into these worlds, but it also allowed them into the way you play Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, Dungeons and Dragons is not a linear game. I mean, it can be played in a linear manner if you're following your, you know, your dungeon master, you know, to the, to the T, but you could really go off the rails with that game. And I think Dark Sun is one of those few early games that allowed you to do that and have it and have it pay off you know it doesn't punish you for taking it's a hard game but it doesn't punish you for being creative in the way that you can get out of doing or or how you can get around doing things and such right exactly um very good game um it it actually holds up and if you're looking for a a pretty in-depth role-playing game i i do recommend picking it up um it is um once again a 90s game so the it's the graphics are a bit dated but they are um dark sun has it's like uh it's like cartoonish it's still they're not like bad they're just uh they're not like three like they're not it's not true 3d it's like 2d sprites right right stone prophet is a a game there's a game called legend of grimrock which is very similar to the style of stone prophet where you control from a first person perspective and the person's hands show up as options to hit and you have to click them and so like you have to put a weapon in the hand and then you click on the weapon and the person the person you click on the sword swings and it makes a noise like a whooshing noise and it does a calc where it'll determine whether or not it hits and if it does, then it will make the hit, and then the damage will be determined. Um, so both these games, I, I, so they they use AD and D second edition rules, which were a little newer than the gold box AD and D rules. Uh, and what's cool is because it was a computer, the computer was playing the game. So, and that's kind of the basis for a lot of the role playing games that have come out since Baldur's Gate. Even the Baldur's Gate 3, I believe, is going to be using 5th edition rules. But it's kind of cool that you can, because you have rules written, you can take those rules, feed it to a computer, and the computer understands how to play the game. And the, the computer understands that and just will automatically just calculate. It's So it's not even like, it's not a hitbox that you're trying to hit. It's a dice roll that you're trying to make. There, there are some games that do that where, um, n- namely, Morrowind has some built-in mechanics where it tries to calculate There's and there's not a hitbox. So it can be frustrating because Morrowind is kind of more of a Twitch play versus uh, these these games, the definitely not. Um, Dark Sun was turn-based and uh, Ravenloft Stone Prophet was clicking on hands so there wasn't any real like twitch animation there was a it's definitely like a now i am attacking yeah it wasn't it was it wasn't like i'm I'm trying to remember i haven't played ravenloft in forever but it wasn't turn-based but it was slow enough to be effectively (laughs) turn-based yeah they people took their turns yeah exactly it wasn't there was no pause and there was no, uh, where Dark Sun was a, this is your person's turn. And all the gold box games played that way too. They were all turn-based. I would almost say that the gold box game, to go back to kind of the gold box games, the gold box game is like our Western JRPG. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, they really helped define what we know as RPGs to this day. And if my understanding of, of the history of JRPGs is they were inspired by a lot of, of American RPG games. So I'm, I'm sure there was influence that was spreading over as copies of, you know, um, gold box games are going to Japan. I'm sure somewhere along the lines, some ideas kind of blended. Do you have any other last thoughts on SSI? Well, I will say pretty much all of the Dungeons & Dragons SSI games are available on GOG, or at least a majority of them are. I know there was some, there was some copyright issues that occurred that seth was filling me in on during yes. uh during i can i could i could do a brief on that yeah, um, so, <laughs> gog, so gog has released uh 13 of the of these forgotten realm games and many most of them gold box games and in order to get these games they had to go through 
like craziness to even figure out who had them, let alone get them to work on modern day systems. They had to be able to first get the right to make them or to work on them and to then sell them down the line. So they had to acquire the license and they ended up going to many of the companies have have gone defunct or have turned into other games. So such as SSI, SSI turned into Mindscape who and eventually turned into um they eventually were bought up by the learning company and then eventually were bought in by Ubisoft and oh, Mattel and I think they spent some time with Mattel too. And good old games or CD Project Red went out to to Ubisoft, who were the final destination, as it were, of SSI, to see, did they add the license? And they didn't. And then they went to uh, Hasbro, because that's uh, Wizards of the Coast. And they said, Wizards, do you have the license? And Wizards said, we have the license of the Forgotten Realms property, but we don't have the license for these games. Uh, You have to go somewhere else to find them. So they eventually went back to Joel, the guy who founded it all, and said, help us walk through this and he led them and said you know at some point in time ssi did change hands with um mattel and we changed hands with the learning company who were also the people who owned mech or did mech or yeah they bought mech out so they did oregon trail they they then went to the gores technology group Mm -hmm. which owned the learning company and they got the license for the games from the gores technology group um, it did take a while, and they couldn't go to the licensor, TSR, because TSR was defunct in 1997. So there, so there was a lot to go through to get the right to make those games, and then they had to make it so those games worked on modern-day systems, which is in a digital distribution system. So they had to be able to make it so that you can install them on your computer and play them without any issues. And they did. And they successfully got figured it out and got it all. And so it's, it's, a, it's great that they are available to buy on GOG. Um, and the more modern games. I think even the stuff that Westwood's, uh, Westwood Studios did uh, where they did Eye of the Beholder. Yes. Which yeah. is a pretty um, classic D&D type game. Um, those are also available on good old games. All, all those games are... Uh, available on good old games if you want to try them out i think seth would agree that um they are dated so (laughs) i don't necessarily recommend just jumping right into gold box uh yeah i i would if you are interested in stepping your toes into classic dungeons and dragons game i would check out dark sun shattered lands is probably the one that i would best recommend um if you need if you want a more like click fest type game that's not really a role-playing game then you can check out snow profit there is role-playing and there's good dialogue in it they they do and it's cool they do incorporate stuff of your character forward so if you play a cleric they'll make reference to their deity and stuff in the dialogue and it's it's cool through that way um but it is primarily a dungeon crawler and I, if you want to play a dungeon crawler, I would just recommend play Legend of Grimrock or the sequel. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if you want to have some real fun, uh, Pool of Radiance and Eye of the Beholder were ported over to the Nintendo Entertainment System and Super Nintendo, respectively. The Pool of Radiance port on the NES looks awful. <laughs> and the i had the beholder port for the super nintendo it just looks weird it, it's like a it looks i it looks really good it's just like you use a mouse in the game so it's cool bizarre but um yeah uh i think that will about wrap it up for ssi well, ssi strategic simulations simulations incorporated yeah Though it probably does not wrap up for Dungeons and Dragons video games. No, as you can tell from Seth and I, we, as as we say with a lot of things, we could go on and on about this topic, especially about Dungeons and Dragons games, and we will likely revisit games like Ravenloft or uh, maybe even Dark Sun, um, potentially even stream them on our Twitch channel, which we'll promote later. <laughs> If you're interested in um, watching us play these games, especially the older games, um, I might still be able to do a Dark Sun run without much help. Um, I'll hold you to that. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, it's just going to be all half giants. <laughs> I'm going to put that on our, um, I'm going to put that down on our 
um, extra life. Oh, uh, okay. I will do an all half giant run of Dark Sun. I'm, I'm up for that. You know, you know that could be the entirety of the 24 hours of extra life. Yeah, I know. It's a long game. Or if you want to see us play through like Stone Prophet, um, we. I'm not sure how the games the game should come through okay on Twitch as well. Yeah. Um, but because we do uh, display captures. But regardless, if you're interested in that, let us know. And we'll uh, boot them up. We may play them without you telling us to play them. But if you are interested uh, to see some classic D&D games, if you want to know more about classic D&D games, we, let us know and we can do and we may do them by them ourselves but we may we could also if you want we can do sooner uh, an entire episode on just dark sun or ravenloft sounds good or any of the other even the gold box games so um zach what are you excited to buy wait or pass on so seth the game that i'm going to talk about for our buy wait pass is a game that i heard about got really excited for completely forgot about then heard about it again and got excited for it again. And that is Samurai Jack Battle Through Time, which is an up-and-coming 3D action-adventure game uh, from Adult Swim Games coming in summer of 2020. So it should be... That's what it says on, on their thing. So I, th- I think it's along the way, <laughs> if anything. Um, I believe... I did not see it at PAX, but I do believe Adult Swim Games did a party. Like it was um, certain individuals were invited to it. They were able to attend it and they showed it off there. I think Jendi Tartakovsky, I might pronounce his name wrong. He's the creator of Samurai Jack and shows like Dexter's Lab was actually there. Um, and he talked about the game. I know one of my friends got into the party, so I think he got to meet Jendi. So yeah, it looks really, really cool. It has kind of this like combination of the art style of Samurai Jack, that very distinct uh, kind of Jendi style where like the characters are very square, but it also has very like kind of photorealistic settings that uh, at least from some of the screenshots I'm seeing. So I, I think that it looks very cool in the way they're blending the, the art styles with this kind of 3d world they're um, developing, but you play as Jack, you have to fight through the past or the future rather to stop Aku to get back to the past. Uh, because that's the plot of the show in the song back to the past samurai jack I, i'm kind of on a teeter-totter between a buy and and a wait i'm gonna probably say wait just because i don't know what the current msrp is if it's like a uh if you know if it's like a 60 dollars game i might still consider it but i might be a little more hesitant um just because i actually just bought a switch so i'm kind of i want to hold off to buy some of the bigger priced games for a little bit just to hold me over um with this being a but it does look look um very cool and it is actually coming out on the switch steam ps4 and the xbox um and xbox one so yeah it's definitely on a like it's, it's on a weight but it's on a like uh soft weight i guess to- edging toward a buy what about you seth give me give me your game what are you wait, buying waiting to pass on so the game that i'm gonna talk about today is actually staying in the theme is a game called the dark eye book of heroes it is a classic role-playing game Ooh where this one allows you to experience it in co-op multiplayer based on the Dark Eye license, which is apparently a the German D&D or a it's German it's a German license that is similar to Dungeons and Dragons or at least their campaign setting in Germany because it says that's using the 5th edition rules, which may be the 5th edition Dark Eye rules. I'm not exactly sure. It says that the Dark Eye came out in 1984 as the first edition, so it must be the fifth edition of the Dark Eye rules. So, yeah, it's German D&D is what it's based on. You can play up with four people at the same time, which is kind of cool. You can choose from 12 different uh, professions. Many of them are tied back into the Dark Eye license. And <laughs> it says that you may play with friends or alone <laughs> with the... <laughs> Well, there's and then there's a <laughs> so that everything <laughs> and uh there's uh eight individual storylines that you can go through with the game cool um, it just came out um on the 9th uh which was last tuesday i'm going to wish list this but i'm also going to pass this oh. um so i'm going to I'll pass on this game i have a lot of classic role-playing games that i need to play including dark sun shattered lands apparently this game if i was it's 
put it in there where I'm now interested in reading and learning more about the dark eye, but without really knowing and being invested into the license, I, I don't need uh, another like classic role playing game. That's I am very particular about my CRPGs. And so, but if you have heard of the dark eye and you are interested or excited about this game or now are excited about the game, because I mentioned it, let me know and check yeah. it out. If you think it's, if we play it and you're like, you can't pit past this up, Seth, then maybe I'll check it out. I'll the co-op multiplayer does interest me. Um, since many of the newer CRPGs that are out, like Pillars of Eternity, don't have any multiplayer, which, mm, right. but you could also play like the Baldur's Gate or Baldur's Gate 2, and you could still play that with multiplayer. Yeah, the enhanced editions, right? Just uh, yeah. they, they, No, even the original. Well, original the original ones, but the enhanced on editions the are available. Yeah, I mean, you could play the enhanced editions. Both of them are, but, uh, in, but in both of them, you can play multiplayer. You could direct connect with somebody, at least one person. Which was always fun because then you controlled certain people and then you could kill each other but or set off traps. Um, well, we do have some European listeners. Um, so maybe maybe some of our European listeners, if you've heard of the Dark Eye series, if you're familiar with it, um, you know, reach out to us and correct us if 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 we've got anything wrong about it. Or if uh yeah, write or, to if, us. or if you want us to maybe um, if there are any other games in that are easily obtainable for the Dark Eye license, um, maybe we can look into those. I'm I'm only putting this down at a pass because of my current predicament. Yes. Not because I'm anti this game. I wouldn't have talked about this game if I was anti this game. But yeah, if you're a European listener and you love the Dark Eye, uh, let me know. And how would they let us know, Zach? Well, Seth, brother... The way they let us know is there's a bunch of ways. One way they can let us know is they can reach out to us via email, classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com. That will go right to our inbox, as you can infer, because it's email, so it goes to our email inbox. Um, Seth will respond to you. Maybe I'll respond to you. Probably not, though. It's most likely Seth. Seth's shaking his head because he's always the one to respond. Uh, You can also go right to our website classicgamingbrothers.com there's a contact form there and if you click on that contact form it'll ask you for your name your email address and your message and then you'll send it to us and it will go to our email inbox and that's how we'll respond to you (laughs) so that's just another way to do it you know you don't feel like maybe you're being lazy and you don't feel like opening up your email client today um so that's this uh you know an option for you or you can you can listen to us at the Classic Gaming Brother website and fill out the contact form in, in two separate windows. That's right. You could do so many things. It's amazing. Modern technology is beautiful. You could also go through our social media channels. We have Twitter. We have Facebook. We have Instagram. Now, here's how those go. I'm going to go in reverse. Instagram, it's Classic Gaming Brothers. Facebook, it's Classic Gaming Brothers. Twitter, it's CG Brothers Pod. Sorry about that. That's just the way it is. You can also reach out to us via um, any of those me- uh, any of those uh, tools. You can you know message us on Facebook. You can tweet at us. You can um, message us on Instagram. Uh, one of us will see it. One of us will respond to you. If you want to listen to us, which to be honest, I think that's what you're doing. But if you want to listen to us in other places, we are available in all of the available podcasting apps that we are aware of. Um, if there is a podcasting app that you prefer that you're currently not listening to us, say you're listening to us on X app and you want to listen to us on Y app. I don't want to name any because I don't want to like diss any of the apps that we're on. Uh, so yeah, say you're listening to us on one app, but you want to listen to us on that other app. Maybe you just got introduced to that other app. It's a lot cooler than, you know, app X. Maybe app Y is cooler, but we're not on it yet. Let us know. We'll try to find a way to get on it as soon as we can. Um, I, I do know that we are just recently, as of a few weeks ago, I think, got onto Acast, which was something that neither no, of us even... That was like months ago. Was it like months ago? I don't know anymore. It's been like months I think, now. I, I, think, I think I keep track of time. You mentioned Acast every single podcast. They were really nice. They were, they were really, really nice. nice. They were really nice. Anyway, we're on all those applications. Um, if you want to support us, that's awesome. Send us emails and all that stuff. That's one way you can support us. And there's a chance that you could win a game in our next drawing, which we will do eventually. You could also go to our website and check out our merch store. We have some cool merchandise that you could buy. However, 
if you are listening to this during the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, there might be a very long wait time before your product gets sent out. Like a month or two, I think, right? Is that like... It's a, it's, no, we're running about we're running about just a month. Just so a month. It's about uh, 25 days is our... our, our is what we're running behind. So if you order it now, we will take your money and then you will get your product eventually. So just be aware of that. You will get your product. Though. Um, however, if you're listening to this like 30 years in the future, there's a chance that it will be a lot faster. Um, <laughs> I would be really interested. Seth and I are still doing this podcast 30 years in the future. as like 60 and 70 year old men. <laughs> well, there'd be more classic video games. Yeah. Everything will be classic by then. Um, Let's say you want to watch Seth and I play some games. You know, you're tired of hearing us talk. You want to see our faces for once. You want to see how beautiful Seth and I look when we're sitting in front of the camera with our air conditioners off so we don't pick up any sound. Um, I don't even have an air conditioner. (laughs) Bummer. Uh, You can go to our Twitch. So our Twitch is Classic Gaming Brothers. That's twitch.tv slash Classic Gaming Brothers. I think that's how you get to it. Also, if you want to check out my view of of the stream sometimes i'll stream that if my internet's behaving you put the letter v and the letter s right in front of classic gaming brothers and it'll take you right to me um so you can subscribe to either of us there we'll send out alerts and such when we go live um we're not super duper active on twitch but we do try to maintain sort of uh presence in regards to uh playing games and such you know we just want to um be supportive of our friends on twitch but also of our of our fans yeah, we 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 will um we generally try and play uh, at most we'll play a game once or twice a week at the least we'll go maybe uh, every couple of weeks. Yeah. We do try and play something every couple of weeks. Maybe we should put one of these um older maybe we should play a series of older games. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely we can do that. Um so yeah, we'll put it on. We'll put, yeah, extra life. Oh, and in November we'll be doing a twenty-four hour live stream for Extra Life, which is a great charity, and we will hope you will tune in at some point in time in the twenty-four hours to say hello and to uh, donate to the charity. We do have a team. It's called Classic Gaming Brothers and the Extra Life, and we will. We do have a. Our uh, goal right now is five hundred dollars. We're not going to be like NPR, though. We're not going to mention it until Extra Life comes around. We're, we're also not going to send you a tote bag if you donate more than like <laughs> a certain won't. amount of money. Also, we won't take your car. I mean, I might take your car, I, but it's... <laughs> we might send you a tote bag if you donate a certain amount of money. That's fair. I mean, I, I would send a tote bag. Yeah, so... Um, we should that, send an NPR That may be a possibility. <laughs> like a car talk no. one. <laughs> no um speaking of which speaking of which seth do you have anything oh do i have anything i was gonna ask if you had anything well don't play games like my brother And don't play games like my brother i've been seth and i've been zach and we've been the classic gaming brothers that we have well i wanted to do something fun at the end what um Oh, an elf comes back here. <laughs> How interesting. <laughs> How interesting. Lawful evil, you say. <laughs>